0: The Flathead's only local sports talk show, The Knock on Sports, six to eight weeknights, only on 96.5 and 600 KGEZ. Here's your host, Anthony Knockreiner. Welcome back inside the 600 KGEZ studios and joining me right now to break things down in college basketball as we wrap up the final weekend of the NCAA tournament. It is Greg Peterson from the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Greg, it is great to chat with you once again, man. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. Uh, well, Greg, let's just start here. Uh, obviously, your takeaways from the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight matchups. Uh, I know we're down to the Final Four teams. We'll get to those matchups here in a second. But overall, what did you take away from this previous weekend's matchups?
1: We haven't really seen these teams tighten up. We're seeing a bunch of lower scoring games, unless if your team is named Gonzaga. A little bit hard to put the ball in the basket, but I have to be impressed by what we've seen out of West Coast basketball in general—not just Gonzaga, but. The fact, being able to get three elite eight teams into the elite eight, and then from there, Oregon State very nearly making the Final Four, UCLA as an 11 seed, they are in the Final Four. So the big thing is, West Coast basketball is back, and these games are quite lower scoring right now.
0: Let me get your thoughts on that, Greg, because obviously that has been the thing, you know, West Coast versus Texas, essentially, when we talk about the final four matchups. But you also alluded to the number of teams from the Pac-12. Does this kind of restore the Pac-12 in terms of its basketball um, look, if you will? Or is this just kind of like, All right, hey, this is the instability tournament. Let's just see what happens once we actually get back to the regular season and some non-conference next year.
1: When I take a look at it, I do think that it's a very good situation that the West Coast in general finds itself in because with all the coaching hires that we've seen in the Pac-12 the last couple of years, we know that Nerdball is taking over at Washington State with the hiring of Kyle Smith. we see Mark Fox be able to do some okay things over there with Cal. I mean, the list goes on and on. I do feel like the Pac-12 in general has more balance because before it was, Oregon, Arizona, UCLA, and then everyone else was just miles and miles apart. But now things are really starting to improve. I do think that, obviously, this was a little bit of an outlier with how good the Pac-12 was able to do. But I do think that the conference in general is finding itself back and is able to do some very good things right now.
0: Greg, what do you think about the job Mick Cronin has done? I remember his days at Cincinnati, very tall order to do this at UCLA, obviously uh, getting them back to this point. Granted, they were a first-four play-in game, but here they are. Uh, So what do you think about the job Cronin's done at this point?
1: I think he's done an absolutely amazing job. And with Mick, I felt like he was a little bit underrated at Cincinnati because year in and year out, they were winning 25-plus games And he was just a guy that wound up going under the radar because they never really made that monster run. They had the chance to be able to do so in 2018. Nevada winds up making that giant comeback when I felt like he had his best team. But I feel like he's now getting the respect that he deserves because keep in mind, Chris Smith is out of the fold for this team. They have a couple other injuries out there in the front court, and UCLA has been able to navigate all of those with having two-plus starters out of the fold. So I think that Mick is starting to get a little bit more credit for the great coach that he is. he should have been getting it to start with, but now it is starting to tilt in his favor, for lack of a better term.
0: Greg, do you think this is something that's just only building for UCLA,
1: or is this in a way an outlier? I think that this is maybe a little bit of them playing above their skis. And let's face it, they wound up getting a little bit of a fortunate draw going into that game against Michigan because they did wind up getting the 14th seed. And Abilene Christian, they needed a big comeback just to be able to make it out of the first four. But and you can also say that they want up getting a little bit of bad luck with all the injuries as well. So maybe it's balancing out a little bit more. I do think that bright days are very much ahead for UCLA. I don't know how many Final Fours are ahead for UCLA, but they have restored short order that they're still a very solid basketball program and a blue blood that is trying to rise back up.
0: Greg Peterson is joining us right now on the Whitefish Credit Union Hotline from the Vegas Stats and Information Network, as well as host of the Hooping with Hoops uh, podcast. Um, Greg, also, you know, this, this is an interesting day for this piece of news. I didn't see this coming, but I want to get your thoughts on Roy Williams retiring from North Carolina.
1: It's surprising on the surface, but at the same time, when you think about it, it's really not so much. I mean, he's a guy that is really up there in years. You can tell by the grind might have been getting to him a little bit too much. This was the first time that he had ever had a team knocked out of the first round of the NCAA tournament. And he's a guy that he's coached for like 33 years. I think that he's now 70 years old. He's certainly well-to-do. And I think that he also wanted to leave North Carolina in not so much a state of disarray because had he stepped away after last season, which they were... low 500 they weren't going to be going to the NCAA tournament if they wound up having an NCAA tournament it would have been a little bit more tough but I do think that now the real fascination becomes who do they wind up bringing in with North Carolina because they've really kept that job within the family for really the better part of the last 50 years.
0: Yeah, that's the interesting part, because do you do you go that round? I mean, I don't know. Do you look at a guy like uh Porter Moser, uh, you know, with Loyola Chicago because maybe that's a job that can you can get him away from Loyola? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting because with these types of jobs you could just see it go one way or another because they are attractive enough for big names.
1: I agree with you, and I do think that this is something where I have to put Hubert Jones towards the top of the list or Hubert Davis towards the top of the list because he is someone that has been doing some coaching within North Carolina. He is a North Carolina guy that played for the program. So I take a look at those guys being a little bit more towards the top of the list. Someone like A. Wes Miller, who's currently coaching at UNC Greensboro, knows the area very well. So I wonder if they're going to go that route. Or you throw out their Porter Moser, but I just don't know if that's necessarily going to be the world's greatest surf from because he is out there in the city of Chicago going from Chicago over to North Carolina, I don't know if that would necessarily mesh too well. I'm looking more at guys that are more within that, I guess you could call it, northeastern part of the country with guys that wound up either playing or coaching previously under Roy Williams or North Carolina.
0: Greg, uh, looking at the matchups this weekend for the Final Four, uh, obviously uh, Gonzaga and uh, UCLA. This is a very intriguing matchup just because, well, every time we think UCLA, ah, they can't play with this team, they they find a way to win here. What do you think about this matchup for the Zags as they take on the upstart UCLA Bruins?
1: I think this is a terrible matchup for UCLA. They've just got absolutely nothing down low. Cody Riley is going to be match matchup with your Timmy, and I think that your Timmy, is going to take him to task. and score 25-plus points in this one. With Gonzaga, he's just got way too many weapons. UCLA has had some very good luck with regards to the run that they've been able to make because while they did draw the one seed in Michigan, as we know, Isaiah Livers was out the fold for them. They just made that game bowling ball, Chiragui, and if there's one team that you're not able to slow down right now, it is Gonzaga. They played with at least 67 possessions at every one of their games this season. Nobody has had any success whatsoever in slowing them now. I don't see why UCLA is going to be able to. This should be a double-digit win for Gonzaga. I really just don't see any way that UCLA is able to hang in this game unless if Johnny Juzang goes off for a north of 35.
0: Yeah, I just say I think the I think the run ends here for UCLA. Uh, and with that being said, you know, Greg, I mean, I know I asked you this question before the tournament started. I asked you if he was Gonzaga or take the field here, but at the same time, as you've watched these games, I kind of feel like both Baylor and Gonzaga just have a little bit different look in their eye right now, and they just feel like a team that's more a team of I don't want to say destiny, but on a mission to win and, and win some hardware here on Monday.
1: I agree with you. Both of these teams are numbers one and two when it comes to points scored on a per-possession basis. They do it a little bit of a different way. Baylor is a little bit of a better three-point shooting team. Meanwhile, Gonzaga, they lead all of college basketball in two-point shooting percentage, and they've got a little bit more of a low-post presence. But I think that is very clear. Baylor and Gonzaga, by far the better two teams in these matchups. And to see anything other than Gonzaga and Baylor on Monday, to me, will be quite shocking.
0: Well, I was about to say, do you give Houston a shot here? I mean, obviously this is a good team that Coach Sampson has. Uh, can they compete and make it a game against Baylor?
1: I think that the only way that Houston is able to win this game is if they make this game incredibly ugly. This is one of these games in which we remember what UCLA was able to do to Michigan. That was a 51-49 to 49 slog. I think that that needs to be the blueprint for Houston because, they're clearly not necessarily themselves from beyond the arc. DeJuan Giroux is playing some great defense, but you can tell that the offense is not quite there because he is being hampered by an injury a little bit. Now, with Houston, what they do a good job of is being able to rebound. And if there is a kryptonite with Baylor, they don't necessarily have a lot of size. Mark Vidal, along Johnson, John Machado are solid players. But, I mean, you take a look at someone like a Justin Gohm, he's able to win the battle down low, but... What is also a big difference maker for Baylor is being able to turn defense into offense. They do a good job of being able to turn teams over. Houston has been a little bit careless with the ball here in the NCAA tournament. I just think that there's too many things in Baylor's favor for them to not be able to pull it off. But at the very least, I could see a scenario which Houston wise up finding their way to play against Zaga in the title game.
0: I was going to say, Greg, I agree with you. I think Baylor and Gonzaga are the best matchup for Monday night. So looking at these two teams, uh, how do you see them stacking up with each other? When we were supposed to get this matchup during the non-conference, unfortunately we didn't because of COVID. How, does the, how do these two teams match up?
1: I think for the first time in like 25 after this game, 26 games, Gonzaga is going to be within single digits of a team. So I don't think they're going to get a total blow up. But in the end, I do think that Drew Timmy would be the best low-post presence in this game. And with what I was mentioning a little bit earlier, Gonzaga leaving the country in two-point shooting percentage, that would be tough for Baylor to be able to overcome. Baylor is a team that they look to be able to get those steals, to be able to help generate their offense. And when they have to play a half-court style, they lock for three. Gonzaga. So we talked about how great the offense is. They are 10th of the country when it comes to points allowed on a per-possession basis, so they're actually very proficient with that regard as well. I just think that there's too many weapons for Gonzaga. I think that they've got too much going for them, so I'd be taking a look at Gonzaga being able to knock out Baylor if we wind up getting that matchup.
0: Greg, I know, again, this is, you know, a lot of ifs here. Again, we got a couple of games to get to before this point. But if Gonzaga is able to win and hoist a national national championship, finally, after just the run that Mark Few has had this this team on, even going back to their early, uh, or I'm sorry, the late 90s, when they were just a, a sweetheart Cinderella, will this make Gonzaga with a national championship win this year a blue blood in the eyes of college basketball purists?
1: I don't think that people are going to be calling them anti-quote a blue blood, but at the same time, they are going to be looked at as currently one of the best schools out there in college basketball. I think in order to have a blue blood, you do need to have a little bit more. I guess you can call it pedigree. I think that the fact that they play out there in the West Coast Conference as well hurts them a little bit more because when you think of all the anti-quote blue bloods. You think of schools out there in the Big Ten. You think of them in the SEC and things like this, And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you don't need to be a blue blood to be an absolutely tremendous program like Gonzaga is. I think that they're just their own unique thing. They don't necessarily fall into that one mold. They are really the trendsetter themselves.
0: Right now, we are with Greg Peterson from the Vegas Stats and Information Network and host of the Hooping with Hoops podcast. Uh, Greg, I know you dabble in some baseball as well, so I know it's opening day, so I want to get your thoughts here. Uh, What have you thought about the day's action so far, and uh, what do you got planned for baseball this season?
1: Well, I'm going to be doing my normal baseball betting podcast, which... I really went creative with the name here. It's called the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. So it's going to be incredibly hard to find. But when you take a look at the MLB season, I am very excited for it. Hopefully things can go a little bit better than my Minnesota Twins bet did today as they were up 5-2 in the ninth inning. A pair of errors wound costing them that game. But I do think that we're going to have a tremendous season. I'm going to be taking a look to see how the ball is flying early because, as we know, there were some – modifications with that so it is something that i'm certainly going to be keeping my eye on and i also just want to see in general how guys are looking at the middle of the year because as we know last year it was a 60 game slate how do these guys wind up holding up as the season goes along is really something i'm going to be keeping my eye on
0: greg peterson our feature guest joining us on the whitefish credit union hotline greg thank you so much for the time really appreciated the insight as well look forward to chatting with you again soon
1: Always appreciate it, Anthony. Thank you.